Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio. We are so happy that you are here today because this is a special day. This is a day that we celebrate leadership in our church. It's a day that we celebrate the ordination and installation of new officers in the church and it is just a wonderful day to be a part of God's mission here in the city of San Antonio. Now over the last year, we have been talking a lot about some of the most important historical leaders of this church. But I have to confess that during this season, I have, have demonstrated a little bit of bias. We have focused primarily on the pastors who have led this congregation. And what has not received enough attention is the importance of lay leadership in this church, the elders, the deacons, the Sunday school teachers, the volunteers, the ushers, the women of the church, the staff, the mission workers of every job description, all these people who labored with John McCullough and the other pastors to build a church in this wilderness of San Antonio. The truth is that there have been seasons when the church, when this church had no pastor. When John McCullough left after just three years, there was a fear that the congregation might fail. It had barely put any roots into the soil of the city. And there was a series of temporary preachers that filled the pulpit. But the city was still a wilderness. And as John McCullough described it, it was still a dilapidated, miserable-looking place affording ocular demonstration of desolating war and semi-barbarism. They don't use that on the brochures anymore. But even during the four years of the Civil War, this church had what one historian called no settled minister. And it was up to the congregation to continue the Lord's work in San Antonio. In those seasons, this church was led by dedicated servants of Jesus Christ. The men and women who have loved and led this church over the years need to be recognized. And I think we need to know the names of our earliest three elders. They were Samuel Newton, John Atwater, and Warwick Turnstall. You know what's going to be really cool is that in just a few minutes, we are going to be ordaining and installing to the office of elder one of the descendants, the sixth generation of this man, Samuel Newton, who was one of those first elders of the church. Job Jackson is, I believe, the sixth generation of his family in this church. But after these three men, the role is long and distinguished. And it was the energy, intelligence, imagination, and love of these men and women that planted the roots of First Presbyterian Church deep in the soil of San Antonio. The men and women of First Presbyterian Church continue to meet together and carry the load of this church from season to season. And today, as a new class of church leaders, elders and deacons begin their tenure of leadership, we want to turn again to Mark's story of Jesus. And our passage today comes from Mark chapter 6, beginning in the 7th verse. It's a story about Jesus sending out his apostles. Would you read along with me, either on the screen behind me or in your bulletin or in your own Bible? Here's what Mark tells us. He says, And he called the twelve, and he began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. 
He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if, in any, place, and if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you when you leave, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. So here is Jesus with his most trusted team. And it's time for these disciples to become apostles. You see, a disciple is a learner. And an apostle is one who is sent. And in this passage, by sending them, Jesus is literally making them apostles. And I want you to see what Jesus is doing. The disciples, of course, still had a lot to learn. But part of that learning was going to be on-the-job training. It was going to be an internship of sorts. But here's what we need to understand today. Discipleship, that learning, all that learning that we do, all that training that we have, it's only valuable if it becomes apostleship. Disciples must become apostles. Consumers must become producers. Members must become movers. Now in this passage, Jesus gives us a vision of what the leaders of the people are supposed to do and how we are to do it. And he begins by sending them out, telling them what not to take. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, no, no funds, no cash, no suitcase, no extra clothes, nothing but your light traveling kit, your basic traveling stuff. In other words, what to leave home, your money, your extra clothes, and your luggage. And that's because this is about humility and vulnerability. He charges them to travel light. Their only resource, the only currency or provision they have will be the authority that they have received from Jesus. In other words, be humble. But understand this, humility is not just an attitude. Let your humility be manifest in your vulnerability. Stay with the people you meet. Stay with the people to whom you are proclaiming the good news. Because there's nothing more humble, there's nothing more empowering, there's nothing more trust-giving than telling someone that you need them, that you need them. You know, we're not coming in judgment or superiority. We're not trying to impress or beguile you with our success or our prosperity. We're coming in humility. 
with nothing but the clothes on our backs and the good news of God's grace. When we come to people in need and humility, it honors them. And it tells them, when I'm on the move, I am trusting that the Lord will provide. And when I am with you, I believe that you are worthy of honor and respect. And I put my well-being in your hands. In other words, I trust you. We become vulnerable to other people. There's no trust without vulnerability. You know, how often do we, as followers of Jesus Christ and leaders of his flock, get bogged down in the images, in the vision, or the appearance that we have it all together and get bogged down by the baggage, by the stuff of life, by the baggage that we insist we need everywhere we go? We, we get bogged down by the need to believe that we have to, have to look like we have it all together, like we don't have any questions, we don't have any problems, we don't have any failings, we don't have any needs. We don't have any fears or faults or failures. Jesus is saying, leave all that at home. And just take these few simple things. The idea is, because this is already saying, is that we need to keep it simple. This is a call to keep the mission of God simple. You don't need props. You don't need programs. You don't need elaborate schemes. You don't need fancy slogans. Jesus is saying, you don't need all of that to do my work. All you need is my compassion and my authority and just your testimony of the truth authentically and enthusiastically delivered. I want you to think back about those first elders, those first leaders of this church. They didn't have a program. They didn't have this beautiful sanctuary. They didn't have live streaming. They didn't have, uh, they didn't have you know, a pastor even. All they had were Bibles and their testimony and a mud hut, an adobe church. Jesus is telling us we need to keep it simple. We can fulfill the mission of the church without elaborate resources, without props and programs, but we cannot fulfill the mission of the church without people eager to share their testimony and the simple, authentic proclamation of the Word of God. I want you to look back to the beginning of this passage in verse 7. Verse 7 says that Jesus gave them authority over the unclean spirits the key here is that jesus gave them his authority the authority of the king those who had no credentials now had the credentials the letters of mark from the king of kings jesus was saying i am sending you out as my representatives to act on my behalf to minister in my stead to speak in my name. But he didn't send them out alone. It says that he sent them out two by two. Now, why is that? Jesus sent them out two by two for a couple of reasons. One reason was so that they could encourage one another. Leadership and isolation is hard and it's dangerous. We need one another to encourage one another, to hold one another up, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But the number two reason is also significant. Jesus sent them out two by two 
because under Jewish law, under the law of God, that was the standard by which truth and validity and authenticity were established. Under the law of God, a legal testimony required two witnesses to hold up in court. And so they went out, not just as official representatives of Jesus, but as legal eyewitnesses to his power. Think about this. They had seen demons cast out. They had seen the blind healed and the paralyzed walk. They had heard sins forgiven and people set free from the diabolical and disease. They had seen lives changed. They hadn't just heard about it. They had seen these things with their own eyes. And each one was there to back up the other story. And so when they went out, they not only had the authority of Jesus, they had the enthusiasm of an eyewitness. I want you to think about this for a second. Have you ever talked to someone who has witnessed a car wreck? I mean, some people are, so, are affected so deeply if they see a car wreck that they can't talk at all. But others, you know this, they can't stop telling the story. They saw the car wreck. Oh, yeah. That guy ran the light, and, and I saw it, and he ran the light, and then he, he crashed in the other, and there was a spin out, and it started to flip, and, you know, and then they start using terminology like, there was, no zone of, there was no zone of appropriate stoppage, and they start using terms like they're lawyers, and they get really enthusiastic, and then you can't make them stop telling you about it. How many of you all heard from somebody else about the person who got going the wrong way on 281 a few weeks ago? The people who saw that, man, they have got a witness to give. And that's the way an eyewitness is. There is enthusiasm there. Jesus was sending them out with authority, but also with the enthusiasm and the legal authenticity of their testimony. You know, did you hear that Jesus cast a demon out of a boy in the synagogue? Hear about it. Man, I was there. I saw it. We both did. It's true. It happened. So Jesus sent them out with the authority of the king and the testimony of people who had seen what Jesus could do in people's lives. And you know what? That's what you have. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have been saved by Jesus Christ, you have the authority of the king of kings and you have the power of your own testimony. What do I mean by that? You have the power of that firsthand knowledge of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. What is the most powerful testimony in the New Testament? I think it is an occasion when a blind man says, I don't necessarily know who this Jesus is, but I know this, I was blind and now I see. That's his testimony. And do you new officers, you new elders and deacons, you know what? I've read your testimonies. And I'm going to tell you this, they are powerful. So please don't just write that story for me. Tell it to others. Tell other people what Jesus has done in your life. One of the most interesting items that Jesus tells them to take is a staff. He's already told them what not to take, and now he's telling them what to take. And the first thing he tells them to take is a staff which means that they're supposed to remember their calling and their responsibility. 
On other occasions, when Jesus sent them out, he told them to leave the staff at home. But this time, he told them to carry it with them. Why? Was it for self-defense? Was it just a walking stick? Was it to lean on when they got tired? Well, maybe. But over the centuries, there have been lots of explanations offered by scholars for what this staff means, and so I'm going to throw mine in the mix. I think that Jesus told them to take a staff because the staff is the emblem of a shepherd. Remember Psalm 23? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I think this staff is a reminder that they are under shepherds of the great shepherd. This is Jesus' way of saying, as you go out, remember that when you go, you are not just a traveler, you are a shepherd. Your job is to gather and lead and guard and feed the people of God, the sheep of his pasture. I think that the staff was there in their own hands to remind them and you to remind you that you are leading. The shepherd doesn't just live with the sheep, the shepherd leads the sheep. He moves the sheep. And so this is a reminder to them and to us who are leaders in the church, you have a calling and a responsibility. And so be confident in your calling. You have the calling and authority of the great shepherd. You have witnessed for yourself his love and his truth and his power to change lives. And you have been sent by him on this mission. Have confidence in that calling. Have confidence in the authority that called and sent you and the testimony of your own witness. Which leads to this. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, excuse me, let me say that again. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Shake the dust off your feet. When the Hebrews, the people of God, turned against Moses, God told Moses, they have not rejected you, they have rejected me. And here Jesus is saying the same thing, that the rejection of one who is legitimately sent by Christ is a rejection of Christ. Shaking the dust off your feet expresses the weight and authority of Jesus himself and the seriousness of rejecting those whom he has empowered and sent. The command to shake the dust off our feet against those who will not receive us or our message is a reminder that we are responsible for obedience and mission but not for the response of the others or for the results. We are not to force ourselves on other people or to assume responsibility for their decision. At the same time, we are to try to help them understand and to try and understand them and to make them, make them aware of the seriousness and the gravity of their decision and response. But there's also another leadership lesson here. There's a tension between confidence and the humility of which I spoke earlier. But we need to be confident in our calling. 
And we need to be confident in our calling because it's the calling of God. Here's the point. Yes, you are going to be wrong sometimes. But God would not have called you to this moment if you were never going to be right. Here's one of the hardest things to learn about leadership. That being a leader is hard. The people that you lead don't always want to follow. In spite of the fact that God has called you and they elected you to lead them. People will complain and gossip about your decisions. They will oppose you. They will second guess you. They will question your competence, your integrity, and even the message itself. And they will make it personal. And sometimes you have to learn to shake the dust off your feet. Every leader takes criticism. Jesus had just been turned away in his own hometown. Remember last week, just before this passage, in Mark 6, 4, Jesus says, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Moses, David, Paul had people second-guessing them all the time. You know, my, my sister-in-law, Lucy, is the head veterinarian at the Charleston Animal Society in Charleston, South Carolina. And every now and then, she will have somebody come in and she will render her diagnosis and the patient, or the client, rather the patient is the animal, the client will say to her, oh, well, you know what? I looked it up on the internet and I believe that this is actually what's happening. And so Lucy got a mug made that says, I'm sorry that my veterinary degree contradicts your Google search. <laughs> you know, there have been times when I wanted to say, I'm sorry that, my, that I trust my 25 years of ministry and pastoral experience more than the article you just read or the speaker you heard that time at the conference whose name you no longer remember. You have to be confident in your calling. You have to be confident in what God has brought you to do. Because here's the problem. Somewhere along the line, the church got our mission mixed up. Instead of preaching repentance, we started seeking the world's and frankly, one another's approval. But as a leader in this church, your job is not to make everyone in this church happy. Your job is to lead them in repentance. That's not always going to be easy. The Apostle Paul wrote, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The feet of the believer carry the good news to the world. And when our feet are buried in the dust of contempt or negativity or disrespect, our mission is stalled. Yes, there are times when people will rightly challenge you and correct you because you are wrong. But there are also times when they will challenge you just because you are right and they don't like the direction you are leading. And in those times when you are wrongly rejected, when you're wrongly criticized or resisted or second-guessed, you have to learn how to shake the dust off your feet. And do not respond to the critics with pettiness for pettiness. Disrespect for disrespect, contempt for contempt. Return to no person, evil for evil. But neither let it stick to you. Instead, shake the dust off your feet. Be humble but confident in the authority of your calling and testimony that Christ has given you. And keep moving. Remember, it's the Lord who gave you this job. 
And why then are they reminded to wear sandals? Why are they remembered to wear, reminded to wear walking shoes? Because their job is to keep moving. Jesus told them to go and keep moving. That Jesus told them to go and they got moving. Verse 12 says, so they went out. Those are possibly the four most important words in this whole passage. So they went out. You have three responsibilities as a leader. To promote and protect the sanctity of the worship of God by calling people to repent and turn to him. Look at verse 12. To promote and protect the spiritual health of the people. Casting out demons, healing the sick, and anointing them with oil. Look at verse 13. And to get moving yourself and to mobilize the people in Christ's mission. So they went out. In other words, when the Lord moves, when the Lord commands, your job is to move the church. To move yourself and to get the people moving. What happens, or excuse me, what, rather, what happened when the disciples obeyed Jesus and went out and called people to repent and turn their lives to God? Mark tells us that they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Beloved, this church needs your leadership. You have to be the leader that God has called you to be. You can't let others bury you in the dust of their fear or confusion or pain. You have to learn to shake the dust off of your feet and get moving. When the members of Jesus' team got moving, people's lives were changed. Your job is to be a shepherd, to embrace that call, to grab it with both hands, and to get the people of God moving. Will you pray with me? Oh, sovereign God, sometimes we are overwhelmed by the amount of authority and the power that you give us. We're always looking at, at what we don't have, the resources we don't we don't feel are, are in our hands and the, and the things we want rather than looking at the power that you've given us, your authority, the testimony of your goodness in our own lives. And Lord, we just, today we just ask that as these new men and women are, are brought forward in this new role of leadership that you will remind them of your simple, your humble but confident calling. Lord, awaken in them the desire to move themselves and to keep this congregation moving. Lord, help us when we, are, when we are challenged to be humble, but to be confident, to shake the dust off our feet when necessary so that we may move on and to trust always in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.